Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Um, my name's Doug. I'm the vicar of Christ Church in Purley. And uh, John said to me, come and preach at Emmanuel. I said, I'd love to. And then he sent through the, the list of uh, what the sermon topics were. Come and preach on Satan, he said. <laughs> Thanks, John. It's a big topic. And I said to him earlier in the week, um, you've said 20 minutes. If it crept over that, would that be a problem? And he said, well, try and stick to it. Now, I think it was the Bishop of Croydon who said, um, it's better to seek forgiveness and ask permission. So, sorry, John. Um, if we overrun. Now, you might want to know a little bit about me um, as, we, uh, you know, as, as we explore this evening. Um, and uh, so I thought we could start off, I'll just share a few facts about myself. Now, has anybody come across a TV program which is called Would I Lie to You? Yeah, yeah, if you watch that. Or there's a radio program, The Unbelievable Truth, which is even better because they say lots of nonsense, but they try and sneak in some true facts. Uh, you should listen out for that. Anyway, so I'm going to say some things about me. I'm going to read through them. Now I'm going to go through them again, and I'm going to ask you which of these are true and which of them are lies. Is that okay? Okay, so my name's Doug. I'm 36. <laughs> my middle name is John Lowe, and I was named after a famous darts player. I went to university in Dundee, and I support Dundee FC. Um, last week, I fell over, fell over in Costa picking up a pen. I read the Bible in Greek only, and I own a Korean Bible. Okay, so we're going to go through those and put your hand up if you think it's true. If you think it's a lie, keep your hand down, okay? I'm 36. <laughs> I was hoping for just a few. Okay. Um, my middle name is John Lowe, and I'm named after a famous darts player. Oh, hands up. My middle names are John and Lowe, but they're spelt differently. I wasn't named after the darts player. Um, the next one, I went to university in Dundee. Yeah, some of you know me. Yes, I went to university in Dundee, and I support Dundee FC. Shame on you. <laughs> there are two clubs in Dundee, only one's worth supporting, Dundee United. Okay. Um, we were really good in the 80s, by the way. Uh, okay, oh, I gave away the one about the 80s, didn't I? Um, okay, uh, so I fell over in Costa picking up a pen. I did, actually. <laughs> <laughs> My arms weren't long enough, and I, I tried to pick up this pen, and I, I, no, my wife said to me, 
you don't fall well, do you, really? And there were chairs going everywhere. And the manager who came over said, are you all right? You're all right. And I just sat there, just leave me with my coffee. So I did fall over in Costa. So I only read the Bible in Greek. Oh, some people think that's true. I have a Greek Bible. In fact, that's the one I've got here. I, I failed Greek, by the way. So that one wasn't true. Um, the last one was I have a Korean Bible. That is, in fact, true. And I have it here. Um, I was at New Wine, um, and I was hosting uh, one of the streams there, and it was an Open Doors uh, event. And Eddie Lyle was there, and he was with Hei Wu, who is a North Korean uh, Christian who escaped from North Korea. Um, Part of her amazing testimony was that she learned the Bible by writing it out uh, by hand when she was in China. And she was describing what it's like to be a Christian in North Korea. And a a worship service would be in the toilet, and they would whisper just words of the gospel into each other's ear. That is a worship service. And um, Eddie, at the end, said, we've got these Bibles. They were collecting to send them out um, to North Korea. And he said, if there's any pastors here would like one of these Bibles, take it and any opportunity you get to share it with congregations and tell this story to say how important this gospel is, that people would live under that sort of persecution and yet stay true to their faith. And so I took the Bible. I, I, I wanted to give it back to him. He said, no, 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 just show it to whichever church there is. So this is proof that the gospel is true and the gospel is important to everybody's lives. So I've done that. So I do have a Korean Bible. Can't read it, obviously, but I've got a Korean Bible. So I'll get my English Bible so that uh, I can carry on. So that's a bit about me. I came to faith in an Alpha course. Um, I uh, met Jesus in an encounter in an evening service. Um, and I uh, got baptized, confirmed. That's another story I'd love to tell you at some other time. Pushed many doors, none of them closed. I ended up becoming a vicar. So that was 12 years ago. But when I was training, um, one of the things that um, was said to me is that one of the things that you've got, Doug, is that you came to faith late, and so you've still got that kind of fire of a new faith. Has anybody just recently come to faith here? Would you like to? (laughs) Because it's really special. And there's a letter was written to the church in Ephesus. And we find it in the book of Revelation, in in Revelation 2.4. The charge against the Ephesian church was that you've lost your first love. And I think we always need to come back to that first love. And I've always remembered that thing that my supervisor said to me. We need to hold on to that first love. And our love for God and to know his love for us. And he does love us with an agape love. And that agape love is one which is self-sacrificial and is good. God is good. That's our start point, that God is good. Amen? Okay, so the other thing that God wants for us is peace. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, And the peace that surpasses 
All understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And in John 20, we find Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes and meets the disciples. And he says not once, but twice, peace be with you. And he breathes the Holy Spirit over the disciples. Peace be with you. God wants us to have peace. He wants us to know that he loves us, and he wants us to have peace. But there are three enemies of that peace. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, before we go on, could we go back to one of the songs we were singing? Could we all say the name of Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because we're called to look at Jesus, not to look at the devil. Somebody once said, only look at the devil long enough to take aim. God wants our peace and he wants us to know his love. And we find those words in the baptism. How many people here have been baptized? Is anybody waiting to be baptized? Fabulous. Do not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. Fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil. And remain faithful to Christ for the rest of your life. So what I'd like to do is to look at those three things, then to tie it into the passage that we heard, and then to maybe apply that to some modern uh, situations that we might face. So firstly, the world. If you have a Bible, uh, could you open it at Genesis 2? If you don't have a Bible, why not? Sorry, only joking. John Mark Comer gets a laugh when he says that. Um, You might have it on your phone or whatever. But um, So Genesis 2, and if we look at verse 25, which is right at the end. Genesis 1 and 2 are the the, uh, creation narratives. We get told about how everything came into being. Um, And then in verse 25, it says this, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And they're in the perfect creation with the perfect God, having the perfect time. So why would they? So it's a bit like this jug of water. Now, you you need to stick with me here because this is obviously a jug of water. It's come out of tap in Croydon, so it's not perfect. But just imagine that that is this perfect paradise. Now, what comes next, of course, is chapter 3, which is the fall. And you may well be, uh, know that story well. Of course, there's the temptation. They give in to the temptation. So if we jump to the end of chapter 3, um, 3.22, in fact, it says this. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand, and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so we're told that Adam and Eve are banished from this paradise. They're thrown out from this perfect place. So the world into which they go is not perfect. So the next, what happens next is they're in this imperfect world, and we still live in that place. Now, 
It does have goodness in it. It does have God in it. But it also has some evil squash, apparently. Um, Now, if I just pour that in there, can you see what happens? The perfect paradise is still there, but it's permeated with the bad stuff, which we're going to call evil. So it surrounds us. It's everywhere. And it attaches itself to everything. And from there, we find temptations. So that is the world in which we live. It's a broken world in which there is this thing called evil. Now, technically, the way we use evil is not actually what it means. So evil is anything, any influence, which would take us away from God and away from God's will. So we tend to think of evil, certainly through horror films and things like that, you know, it's murder and abuse and you know, whatever. All of that is, is obviously evil. But it's much broader than that. It's anything that takes us away from God. So evil in the world leads us to sin. And sin is a word that we need to reclaim. We don't use it as much as we should. And sin is something which we do, which turns us away from God, that separates us from God. And the reason Jesus died on the cross was to take those sins away. But because we live in this uh, broken world, which has infused within it these evil influences, then we will continue to sin. Which is why when we come to a service, the first thing we do is we confess. Who here is a sinner? Each and every one of us is a sinner. And yet we're redeemed through the saving work of Christ. So the world is full of evil, and that can be little things as well as big things. And that leads us to sin when we give in to the temptation. So the next thing is the flesh. It's not just tissue and our human, it's our whole human being. It's our mind or our emotions, our bodies. And we are weak and we are fickle. We're unreliable. Elliot was talking last week about our, the, the fact that we prejudge people. It's a natural human thing to see somebody and think, he's not 36. Sorry, it was a joke. Um, <laughs> but we prejudge people. It is part of our broken human nature to do that. Whereas we should find out about people before we make any of those judgments. It's not rational. And of course, on social media, it's a thousand times worse. So we have the world, which is full of evil influences, and we have the flesh, which is a, uh, a fickle, kind of weak vessel. And then we have the devil. Now, the devil is a real person, is a real creature, um, and a real enemy. Is described in the Bible as being the prince or ruler of the world. So this evil-infused world we live in is ruled by the devil, and he wants to destroy. 
He wants to cause death and he wants to take away our peace. And he knows that we're weak and he knows that we are fickle and so he can work with that to draw us away from God. That is his primary purpose, is to draw us away from God. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is Jesus' description of the devil. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He was talking to the Pharisees in John 8. So Jesus wants us to have peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you, he said when he met the disciples. He wants us to have life. John 10.10 says what? I bring you life and life to the full in its abundance. That's in this life, even amongst all this mess. And John 3.16, for those who believe in me, will live forever, will not perish, and will live forever. Those are Jesus' two main promises to us, an abundant life here and an eternal life to come after death because he defeated death on the cross. Is that good news? I'll try that one again. Is it bad news? No. Is it good news? Excellent. So, abundant life and eternal life. And peace is what Jesus wants for us. The devil wants to take that away. He wants to take us away from the sources of those things. He wants anxiety. He wants disorder. He wants hate. And he wants death. Should we try that again? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When we look at the devil, we turn to Jesus. John Mark Comer wrote a book around this sort of area called Live No Lies. Brilliant book. If you haven't got it, buy it, borrow it, read it. And he talks about the devil has deceptive ideas which play to our disordered desires, the flesh, the the weakness, and operates within a sinful society, the world, with all these evil influences. And yet Jesus could say the truth will set you free, that we can have fruit of the Spirit, and that we should be holy as God is holy, set apart for God. In fact, be Christ-like or God-like. So if we think about the baptism service that we do, and then we turn to the baptism of Jesus. In baptism, God calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. To follow Christ means dying to sin and rising to new life. That's what happens in a baptism. Therefore I ask, and this is the decision, those those vows which are made, do you reject the devil and rebellion? I reject them. Do you renounce the deceit and corruption of evil? I renounce. Do you repent of sins? I repent of them. Do you turn to Christ? I turn. Do you submit to Christ? I submit. Do you come to Christ? The way, the truth, and the life, I come to Christ. So very simply, we're called to come to Christ and to turn away from these lies, to turn away from the devil, to turn away from corruption and evil and sin. That is the gospel. 
And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us do that. And it's Jesus' death on the cross that allows us to do that. So in our reading uh, this evening, we were told that Jesus was baptized. Well, he was sinless, and yet he associates with us. And John couldn't work out why. And yet Jesus said, no, no, you have to do this. And it was to fulfill righteousness so that we could be right with God. And God is pleased with him. Now, do you notice something about that? It's, you know, it's a very famous phrase, the heavens open, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. But Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't earned that pleasure. And I think one of the things we can pick up from that particular story is that God is pleased with you before you do anything. You don't have to earn it. Because he made you, and he loves you. And he wants your peace. So he is pleased with you. And then we move on to the temptation. The Spirit takes Jesus into that place for a purpose. And the purpose was to defeat Satan right at the beginning of his ministry. And Satan falls for his usual tactics. If you are son of God the deceit of doubt. Make bread in a fast, there's the temptation. If you are the son of God, deceit, prove your faith. And then he tries to use scripture, but uses it completely inappropriately. All this I will give you. He's offering something which isn't his to give. And he seeks to draw us away from the worship of God. Lies and destruction and hate. And it's the tactics we see right at the very beginning in uh, Genesis 3. Did God really say about the tree that you mustn't eat the fruit? He puts doubt on the facts of the truth. And then the second is you surely will not die. He says even if you do this there won't be any consequences. Even if you sin, there's no, there's no comeback. So it's okay. And he makes temptation look good. And when Eve gives into it, what's the next thing she does? She draws in somebody else. She encourages somebody else, which is Adam. I really don't think Adam comes well, out well of this story. Yeah, whatever, love. <laughs> Give it here. So the devil's tactics have been the same right from the beginning. To tell lies, to draw us into temptation, and to draw us away from God. Because he wants our destruction, he wants to destroy our peace, and he wants us to think that either there isn't a God, or that God doesn't love us, or to take away our love for him. And we can apply this to any, any sin. The lies. So you think of a, a, something that's really evil, like murder. Well, the lie might be, well, my anger justified it. They deserved it. In that moment, or if it's pre-planned, it's the only thing I could do. 
But it's very clearly God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. It could be something simple. Like lying ourselves. It's only a little white lie. It won't matter. Whereas actually, God says, don't bear false witness. Now Paul has some tactics that he suggests. If you know Ephesians 6, you'll know the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord. Stand your ground. Truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, faith, knowledge of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit. Jesus said, God is spirit, and true worshippers worship in spirit and truth. Paul says in chapter 6 of Ephesians, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This spiritual battle is going on all around us. But we don't need to worry, because we know who wins. On the Alpha course in the session on evil, I had a slide which basically filled the whole slide with a great big blue circle. And that was God. And then in the corner was a tiny little black triangle. And that is the devil. Because whenever Hollywood talks about this, it's, you know, it's good versus evil. Well, actually, good wins. God wins. We've seen it to the end. And God wins. So in this encounter that we find in the wilderness, Jesus' response is threefold, and they all come from Scripture. They all come from Deuteronomy. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Turn to God. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test God, for he's faithful, he's good, and he's perfect. And worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. So Jesus uses scripture to turn the devil's lies back to God. And that is the defense. So here are one or two things that we might like to think about, which are uh, potential lies that we might hear. We live, we're told, in a post-truth world. And we have fake news. And we're told there is no objective truth. That everybody can have their own truth. Whereas actually what the Bible tells us is that there is one truth. And that is Jesus. Isaiah 5 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. The temptation or the risk is that we make our own God who agrees with us rather than seek God's own word. The next one is that maybe we think that suffering shouldn't happen. So when it does, our expectation is that we shouldn't have to cope with it. And yet, we know that there are evil influences in the world. 
We know that we may suffer for our gospel. We had Relief International with us this morning, and they were telling us about some of the people that they support, where they're persecuted for their faith. In fact, we were told about one girl who was 14, and she was told, you can give up Jesus, or you can go to prison. And that was four years ago. She was 14 at the time, and she's still in prison because Jesus was too important to her. She is suffering for the gospel, suffering for righteousness. But because of of Jesus, she couldn't give him up. We're told in Romans 3, glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the last one is the self or being true to yourself. In, in, in The Incredibles, uh, Mr. Incredibles' uh, favorite fan or best fan or greatest fan, should I say, says, you keep telling me to be true to myself, but you don't tell me which self to be true to. We are to be true to Christ. Our identity is in Christ. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. It is God's words that told Jesus who he was. And it's God's words over us that tell us who we are. Worship God only. We're not called to worship ourselves. We're not called to worship what other people say about us, we are called to worship Jesus. Because he is the one who provides the protection, he is the one who saves us, and he is the one who promises us abundant life and eternal life. So some of the biggest lies are that sin isn't real, or that something isn't sinful. Or that we are the source of who we are, when in fact it's God. All things designed to draw us away from God and not to him. So I'd just like to close with a picture of, if you've been to Charing Cross Station, cross the road, just sit behind St. Martin in the Fields. I don't know if you, were, if you know what I'm talking about. There's a little statue but it's lying down. It's like a sarcophagus. And it's a statue of Oscar Wilde. And this, there's basically a head and then a body. And it's lying, lying down and looking up. And there's a quote on there where Oscar Wilde says, we're all in the gutter. How many people here are sinners? We're all in the gutter. But some of us are looking at the stars. And there's a danger, there's a temptation that the devil really wants to lay in front of us, that we make him lower and us higher. Because by doing that, he makes grace smaller. And the reality is that we're in the gutter. And he is up there. And the distance he traveled to save us, in fact, the words are there 
behind me, underneath that screen. The distance he traveled to save us is so vast that we can't do anything but to love him and to thank him for the rest of our lives. For he is goodness, he is the source of peace, and he is the lover of our souls. So we're called to submit to Christ, to look to him only in word, in prayer, in spirit, in faith, in holiness, and to bear fruit for him. And in return, he gives us peace and love because of his goodness. Let's pray. Father, I repent if I've overrun. But I share this in love. That first love of our Savior, the Christ who died for us, the God who made us, Come, Holy Spirit, convict us of anything which is untruthful in our lives, anything which draws us away from the one true God, anything that leads us into temptation, anything that might cause us to bear bad fruit. anything not of you. And if that convicts you in your heart tonight, just offer up to the Lord your repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for those lies that I listened to. I can now see them for what they were. Lord, I'm sorry for those temptations I gave into. Because I know that you not only forgive, but you forget. You don't bring them back to mind. Lord, show me your goodness that I may be good. And help me to reject all the evil influences and renounce their source in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.